Hello, Marvelites. Welcome to Marvel's Pull List for new comics out October 17th. 2018. I'm Ryan, aka Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. And uh, yeah, I, you know what? I was thinking, you know, I, I got a tweet from a new listener who was curious about some terminology. So I wanted to let everybody know that the show is about our new comics that come out every week the print issues, the digital issues, the collections, the single issues, all that kind of stuff. And we're going to use a lot of terms about the roles that the different creators have in, in these books. So you have a writer. You have a penciler. The penciler sort of lays down the framework for what the comic book looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, The inker, who helps give it depth and shade and really fleshes out a lot of things. Sometimes the penciler is also the inker. They Mm -hmm. do both details. Uh, Then you have a colorist. Colorist adds color (laughs) to the story. Um, And again, sometimes you have one artist who does all those things, such as when we talk about Daredevil or we talk about Thor this week. You have a, a sort of the artist who takes on all of it um, mm-hmm. for their own style. We have letterer who uh, places and adds all the lettering, which is a really important thing. That you know, good lettering you don't really notice. Bad lettering will destroy your enjoyment of mm-hmm. a comic book. Mm-hmm. I believe there's one story in an issue this week where someone does all of those jobs, right? In Venom Annual. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My boy James Stokoe. Yeah. Yeah. I, really impressive. I can't wait to talk about that. Yeah. Uh, then you have the editors who help put it all together. Think of like a project manager or a producer of some sort, sort of trying to keep everything working and coming together and make it all make sense. And then you have a bunch of other people who get credit in the book mm-hmm. and they do fun things. <laughs> but I thought that was helpful just in case y'all don't know. And then I think it's time to dive in. Tucker, you're up first. Let's do it. We're starting with Astonishing X-Men number 16. And it's written by Matthew Rosenberg with pencils by Greg Land, inks by Jay Lyston, colors by Frank D'Armada, and letters by VC's Clayton Cowles. This is Until Our Hearts Stop, part four. In this issue, we have Reavers, we have Sentinels, and we have some great art by this art team led by Greg Land. I love, love, love looking at this book. It's so dynamic. It's so kind of like perfectly X-Men in so many ways. What was most fun about this issue for me because, look, Havoc was ready to come back, be a nice guy, and then the uh, X-Men were like, "Mm, I don't know, maybe not, and then things went south, and now the Reavers are here. But the whole point that I'm trying to get at is there's a lot of kind of shifting allegiances and deals and kind of trade-offs happening here, but... Uh, Then we finally get some great team-up action. It was so much fun to read. I think this is like, this is so prototypical X-Men for me. This felt like such a kind of classic X-Men story. Some people give Greg Land some flack, but I think, one, he is such a strong, smart storyteller. He is Mm -hmm. very clear in what he is putting on the page. He knows pacing so well. Those dynamic moments are bigger because he's the one putting them to the page. Like you're looking at that one panel of Havoc powering up and it's so awesome. And you see Dazzler in that big splash. She looks friggin' cool. His Sentinels are awesome. It's big widescreen superhero action storytelling. And he is one of the best in the business. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what he does is, is really wonderful. Yeah. Next book is Daredevil number 609. And it's my pick of the week. It sure is. It is written by Charles Soule. Art, it's inking, coloring, penciling, all of it by Phil Noto. 
where you got VCs Clayton Cowles on the lettering tip. Uh, and this is the first part of the death of Daredevil. And this is called Thanatophobia, mm. fear of death. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, given that it's the man without fear, obviously this is the beginning of the end of Charles Soule's run on this book. He's done such an incredible job. I've loved so many issues. Um, and this feels like such a cool start to his last couple arcs. But this for me was like a greatest hits story. Kicking it off with Matt is in surgery. We don't really know what's happened yet. We do get those kind of story details filled in, but there are so many big characters that pop up. It's like the all-star game. It was incredible. And the way it's all woven in so organically. Um, And then, you know, look, there really cannot be enough said about Phil Noto. I mean, he is a goat. That's, That's one of my notes is Noto is goat. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, that's a good T-shirt. We should make it for yeah. sale. Yeah, uh, I mean, he is just so, so, so incredible. Uh, the way that you can just feel that his art is done front to back, all by him. The color palettes he uses, the way that he uh, kind of moves your eye in between a scene where it's just kind of dialogue and just kind of an emotional moment happening for Matt, or a scene where there's some big action beats happening, or a scene where. We're not really sure where we are in time and space, where we might be in Matt's mind. We might be in some other place out there. There is just so, so much to love and to look at in this issue. I think it's such a cool start to this story. And because Phil does all the art, he it lets him play with a little bit of how the art flows, mm-hmm. you know, the penciling, the inking, the coloring. There's a lot of color bleed outside of the lines. It, it does something to the the feel of it. There's also almost this like soft lens to it all mm-hmm. you know like if you put a little vaseline on on a camera lens you get something a little bit different <laughs> and here there's a little bit of that in some places it just feels like a classic mm-hmm. like there's just a classic tone to all of it knowing what's ahead in this arc it may be my favorite yeah. uh, of of the whole series mm-hmm. next up though is infinity warps weapon hex number 1 this Issue Infinity Warps Weapon Hex is written by Ben Acker and Ben Blacker with pencils by Gerardo Sandoval, inks by Victor Nava and Gerardo Sandoval, and colors by Israel Silva with letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. We've gotten so many great warp characters so far in Infinity Wars. Uh, and this one, Weapon Hex, is a cross between Scarlet Witch and... And X-23, it's really, really, really cool. This was kind of an unexpected story for me in a way because you go in expecting one thing. You go in expecting something kind of, you know, like gnarly and kind of action-packed and 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 really cool. And certainly you get those beats in this story, but it also was kind of unexpectedly emotional, kind of an unexpected family issue here. Um, also, because it's uh, Acker and Blacker, mm-hmm. I expected comedy. They're yeah. really funny yeah. writers. And they're, yeah. they're great writers. They're really funny writers. Uh, but this is not a comedy book. And I like seeing them stretch out and go in a very different direction. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, I, I, I read this issue and then I had to go back exactly that and, and like double check to see who wrote it. And I was so pleasantly surprised. It's really, really awesome. So uh, this warp begins on Mount Wondagore. And look, I don't know a lot, but I do know that Mount Wondegore is a reference to the place where the uh, the high evolutionary once once his once you know hung out. I guess yeah, it's his, it's his pad. Man. Yeah, 
and you got uh, it crushed it and uh, uh also do you know the name of his uh cow like uh woman cow helper Be- betsy the hell cow no oh uh, bova <laughs> bova there's a, a mashup version of bova in here oh, okay which, uh, well is <laughs> when we talk about like different kind of strangely anthropomorphic cows in the marvel universe we have plenty to, to yeah to, to, we've got to guess bova from. we've yeah. got hell cow <laughs> At least two of them. So Bova and Hellcow. <laughs> uh, this issue, as kind of something we've explored for a long time with Laura Kinney specifically, is her relationship to her family and her relationship to her mother. And that really comes to the fore in this issue. We see uh, in kind of a really cool countdown style the birth and life of Weapon Hex. And the countdown aspect is that it's counting down to her 18th birthday when she sort of can be a vessel for maybe my favorite warp in mm-hmm. so far, which is Mephikon, <laughs> which is a warp of Mephisto and Chathon, who is like Mephisto is, is essentially your devil. I love that pronunciation. Yeah, Chathon is he's essentially like a Lovecraftian uh, mm-hmm. elder god. Mm-hmm. Uh but mashing those together, I never even thought of it, and it's so cool. Yeah, yeah. So for fans of X-23, there's a, just a delightful little thing that happens here. I don't want to say spoilers, but it is. Uh, it was a really, really unexpected and great read and, and another great warp. Heck yeah. All right, another great read is Life of Captain Marvel, number four. This one is a huge issue for Carol and her family, written by Margaret Stoll, pencils, in the present day by Carlos Pacheco, inks by Rafael Fontieres. And then we have flashback scenes, and we've had flashbacks in each of the issues previously. In the other issues, flashbacks have been done by Marguerite Sauvage because they have been from Carol's point of view. But this issue is all from Carol's mom's point of view in the flashbacks. So I think this is such a smart storytelling thing. It's a different artist doing her flashbacks. It's a different perspective. It looks and feels different. So pencils and inks on these flashbacks are by Erica Durso, colors by Marcio Menez across the board, and uh, lettering by VCs Clayton Cowles. And I just want to say quick shout out to the editors on this book, editor Sarah Brunstad and contributing editor Sana Amanath for bringing that whole team together. It's, it takes a, a really specific vision and assembling a great creative team like we have in this book is a big challenge and they do just a fantastic job. Heck, yeah. So we're finally getting secrets revealed here, origins and, and truths and all that kind of stuff. And the other issues, you know, I mentioned the, those flashbacks and here we're getting to see Carol's mom's story really told it's a character we don't we hadn't known much about and so there's a ton of stuff here i don't want to get into too much of the spoiler territory because it really sort of part of the mission of this book is is really saying this is carol's like true origin this is where she came from this is what she is who she is this is how she came to be and really like this one this issue the last issue like it's really solidifying as one of my favorites this year Yeah. Next up, we have my second pick of the week. It's Marvel Zombie number one. Getting in the Halloween spirit here just a couple weeks out with this book. It's written by W. Maxwell Prince. Great name. With art by Stefano Raffaelli. Colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. Letters by VCs Travis Lanham. The editor of this book, Chris Robinson, has been... He's been hyping this book a lot on Twitter. He's been saying, you guys don't know what you're in for. Look, I gotta say... 
I didn't believe him. I thought I knew what I was in for, and I was wrong. Does he still have his mustache? I haven't seen him in like a week and a half. Oh, uh, yeah. I okay, so. Yeah. Keep in the faith. <laughs> uh, this book starts on the credits page. Instead of putting you, you know, kind of giving you context for where we are before this story, it has a letter written by a character we don't know, uh, just someone named Donnie, writing a letter to his mom. It's written, kind of handwritten. It, it does such an incredible, succinct job of, without telling you just like expository information, what the kind of world we're in here. And it's really beautiful and really emotional. I thought it was just a, a gorgeous thing. And it sets up the idea that we are in this kind of post-apocalyptic kind of wasteland, as you might expect with the title Marvel Zombie. But this book does something really incredible, and that's it humanizes a zombie. It takes a zombie, a brain eater, and uh, it makes them into a sympathetic character. And Can I throw a little bit of background please. to the mix? So uh, first, this is W. Maxwell Prince's first Marvel work. Uh, mm -hmm. He's done a bunch of books for other companies, so welcome to him here. But zombie Simon Garth mm -hmm. is the humanized zombie that you mentioned. Kind of intelligent, but he has this amulet around him that's, yeah. that is sort of the key to keeping him with us, right. so to speak. I know the character from... The 70s Marvel series, Tales of the Zombie, which was part of our cool horror stuff that we were doing in the 70s. And then he was in Marvel Zombies 4, and he sort of popped in and out little bits here and there. Not a huge character, but mm -hmm. one that if you dig enough, you, you find a lot of them. And from what I read, he actually showed up back in like the 50s wow. in a Stan Lee story as this sort of... A zombie was still with its soul. Right. So like, right, there's right, this whole story. So there's really interesting arc for this character yeah. to get brought back here and there every like 20, yeah, 30 yeah. years, whatever it is. It's pretty neat. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and this idea of just like the zombie who still maintains this, this strange connection. There's so much to explore there. Oh, and the book where he first appeared was called Menace. Oh, that's cool. I didn't even know we had a book called Menace <laughs> until I was digging into this a little bit more. In this story, it takes place in like a, a post-zombie apocalypse New York City. And we get a post-apocalypse hero team made up of Spider-Man, Misty Knight, Daredevil, Hawkeye, uh, that's Kate Bishop, Black Widow, and Moon Girl sticking around in her hometown. They are kind of trying to stay on top of the zombie hordes who are who have taken over the city and they come across some some little kind of Dickensian kids who are just running around like picking up zombie trash and Hello sir, can <laughs> I have a zombie finger? <laughs> yeah. That's really it. This story ends up being via those children, via Simon the zombie, this really like beautiful tale about innocence, about heroism, about connection in this time of, you would guess, you know, is all about individuality and, and survival. It is so much fun to read. Chris, you were right. Wow. Thanks. That's my Chris Robinson impression. <laughs> uh, up next is Mr. and Mrs. X number four, written by Kelly Thompson, art by Oscar Bazaldula. Colors by Frank D'Armada, letters by VCs Joe Sabino, and uh, this is, you know, Rogue and Gambit on their honeymoon, and it's not a story I ever thought I'd love, but I sure love it. We've got the inclusion of Xandra, who, as we found out in previous issues, is the uh, offspring of Charles Xavier, and Lilandra, the former leader of the Shi'ar, and she has connect. it's cool because she has connections to 
the Shi'ar. She has connections to the X-Men. She has connections to the larger Marvel cosmic universe by way of who she is and who her parents were. But she's just this like little girl who has these incredible powers who's just trying to figure out what to do and not get captured and hurt and all kinds of stuff. She's one of the highlights of this book so far for me. Such a great character. And Kelly is just writing her so, so wonderfully, loving it so much. Yeah, and she's got these, you know, fun, cute moments like tweaking people's perceptions or when she reunites with Cerise, uh, one of the the Shi'ar who's sort of been like a mother figure to her. Uh, Oscar's are such a great fit on this book. His facial expressions, especially for Rogue and Gambit and, and Xandra, so on point when people are thinking or when they're sad he has this way of of drawing these soft faces it's beautiful sad and sweet and he also draws really cool shiar shenanigans with the imperial guard and the star jammers and all that kind of stuff uh so it's it's a cool story that mixes x-men stuff with cosmic stuff uh in great ways uh that would be spelled shenanigans s-h apostrophe a-n-a again Two points to the house, Marcus. <laughs> Hell yeah! Uh, next up, we have Old Man Logan, number 49. It's written by Ed Brisson with art by Ibrahim Roberson. More about him in a second. Colors by Carlos Lopez and letters by Corey Petit. Naked Old Man Logan alert! Oh, Naked yeah. Naked Old Man Logan alert! Do you love buff old dudes with, like, their skin stretched over their st- Dryated old man muscles. Well then, buddy, this is the book for you. Because <laughs> we get it aplenty. It starts out with a kind of tortured, terrible vision inside the mind of Logan. That That is the most horrifying sequence yeah. to me this week. Yeah, it, it really gets to the heart of the torment that his psyche is kind of constantly under and how it's getting worse in a way. His regenerating uh, powers are really slowing down. He is kind of a a shadow of his former self in terms of his power and abilities. He wakes up in the middle of the forest like, you know, we know he loves to do. He's got no clothes on, but boy, does he got some thigh muscles. Woo! Anyway, some unlucky kids, I guess, come across him, say, ew, gross, he's naked. Uh, They uh, help him out, but... Essentially what's going down here is there is a small Canadian town that's being held under the the thumb of Maestro, who is a kind of, like, bad guy Hulk. We saw, I believe it was an old man Logan, right? Yeah, a, he's a like... A while he, ago. He's one of the offspring of Hulk, sort of come from the, the Wasteland universe. Right. And he's just a jerk. Yeah. He has kind of become ruler of this town. Logan has stumbled across this town. And he, of course, wants to help, but he is just not equipped to do it. It's really hard to imagine how he is going to escape because he has he has no powers to fall back on. You know, it's it's tough to read, but it's it's so good. Ed, as we've kind of wrapped up Old Man Logan over the past few story arcs, he is just crushing these issues. And, and this one is no different at all. Heck, yeah. All right, up next, we've got Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, number 311, written by Sean Ryan, pencils and inks by Juan Forgetti, colors by Jason Keith, letters by VCs Travis Landham. I got to give a big shout out to Philip Tan and Maury Hollowell, the cover artist mm-hmm. for this one. is so cool. The way I, so I have a, a, a thing about Wolverine's hand and huh. Spider-Man's hand. Huh. There's, sometimes you'll see an artist and they'll draw Wolverine's hand with the claws out and I just like love looking at yeah. the way Wolverine's hand is drawn yeah. but I also love 
when people draw Spider-Man and he's like on the side of a building, the totally. way his fingers are splayed totally. out. And when you do it right, it looks so cool. And yeah, man, they crush. Looks gnarly here. Do you, uh, that makes me wonder, do you have a favorite Spidey artist when it specifically comes to Spidey hands? Um, I think Todd McFarlane really mm-hmm. hit like the hands mm-hmm. and certain expressions and ways to yeah. do it. Yeah. That made me think, you know who's my favorite? Who's that? Paolo Rivera. Ooh. Yeah. 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 Anyway. So good. But yes, so this is a spider garden tie-in. And uh, we're getting in there to really see a different side of this sort of story, this event. Because in the first issue of spider garden we had Moreland pop out of his little, you know, chamber with the rest of the inheritors. And he's like, cool. Bye, siblings. I'm going to go try and kill the guy who I cannot kill and is driving me nuts. So Morlin, he like hightails it right at the, in the first issue of the event over to New York to find Spider-Man. And mm-hmm. he can sense him. He can smell Like he's attuned to finding Spider-Man. If you don't know anything about Morlin, there's a great story. The first original Morlin story started in Amazing Spider-Man number 30 in 2001. And it is... J. Michael Straczynski, mm-hmm. John Romita Jr., and it is tremendous. If you talk to like Nick Lowe, it's one of his favorite stories, mm-hmm. a lot of creators, and it really is this wonderful, horrible, brutal tale, and it'll give you sort of insight in what's in store for Peter and how difficult and how tremendous a challenge this is for Peter. I like that this one actually has a new twist because we've got J. Jonah Jameson who's on Peter's side and Mm -hmm. he plays into this first issue and what that means, how does that shift the balance, how does it help or hinder Peter is is really, really interesting. Sean used to work here at Marvel so he gets Mm Spider-Man really, really well. He worked closely with Nick. This is just, it's a cool story and it's probably going to be Horrific for Spidey. Next up, we have Runaways number 14. Uh, It's written by Rainbow Rowell with art by David LaFuente and Takeshi Miyazawa. Colors by Jim Campbell and Michael Garland and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. I kind of can't believe we're at issue 14. This issue, though, this is Runaways That Was Yesterday Part 2. Alex Wilder is back. That's a whole thing. But who else is back? The Gibberim, but not quite. It's the children of the Gibberim up against the children of the Pride. It's a really cool uh, new take on the kind of classic Runaways big bad story. There is a lot of tension there. The the children of the Gibberim say, look, we'll lay off, but you got to make a sacrifice. The Runaways are like, "Mm, I don't know. Yeah, okay, we'll take the time. Like, we'll figure it out. But we have all of that going on while at the same time we have them dealing with the return of Alex, which is no, you know, little kind of uh, blip in this story. That is a huge, huge deal. And there's so much fallout that takes place because of that. Simultaneously, we have so much going on with Nico and Carolina, but that's only half of this issue. The other half is an interlude with Dinosaur, uh, is what it's called. It is a wordless story, and we just follow an old lace as he explores... Uh, she. And there's some dialogue in here. Okay, look, there is, uh, like, maybe four words said, but we get to just see um, the Runaways dynamic through old lace's eyes. And what I really love is how most of the words are just kind of like scribbles. 
So we kind of can hear via old Lace's ears that there's conversation going on. But what's really cool is when we see actual words, is like we know those are the words that old Lace understands. And they include old Lace. They include no. They include bad girl. <laughs> they include no again. But then there's also some really beautiful, um, fantastic, loving stuff that goes on in here. It is like the best kind of puppy dog story ever, which is the 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 best of old Lace. Yeah, and... Like we were talking about lettering earlier, in one of the word balloons, I think it's Victor is talking to Gert. The word balloon has like little hearts in it Mm -hmm. because Old Lace hears the sweetness and the love, like the burgeoning love between the two of them. And like she doesn't understand everything that they're saying, but she interprets the emotion there. Mm -hmm. That's such a really special storytelling piece in it yeah it is such a great story it uh it is worth the price of admission alone yeah. but you also have the main book too so good you want to buy a dinosaur you yeah. should use your marvel mastercard unfortunately you cannot buy a dinosaur but you can use your marvel mastercard for all kinds of cool cashback rewards like buying comics you can learn more at marvelmastercard.com slash list. That's right. You can earn 3% cashback rewards paid as a statement credit on comic books, movies, restaurants, and more with the Marvel MasterCard. And 1% cashback rewards paid as a statement credit on all other purchases. There's no limit on cashback rewards you can earn. Enjoy a special Marvel benefits like three months of Marvel Unlimited subscription for free with this. You can also choose your superhero from one of six cool card designs too, like Iron Man, Black Panther, and Spider-Man, just to name a few. Visit marvelmastercard.com slash list to learn more and apply today. marvelmastercard.com slash L-I-S-T. Next book is Sherry, number one, launch of a big one. It is awesome. It is also one of my picks of the week. It was written by Nettie Okorafor, with art by Leonardo Romero, colors by Jordi Belair, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. And again, another big shout out to cover artist Sam Spratt. So neat. Yeah. Love Incredible. this cover. So one of the first things in this issue is the, the first page is a great condensed description of who Shuri is, what she's been through, and what her current status is, which is so perfect for someone if you're not reading Black Panther, if you don't have the years of history of of who this character is, if you've just come into this because you like the movie and you want, oh, hey, a Sherry comic book. It is such a perfect, like, here's who she is, off and running, here we go. What's also neat is that this gives us a little insight into the mean Black Panther book that is going on right now, the one by Ta-Nehisi Coates and Daniel Cunha, and gives some insight into how we got to that point in Black Panther. So this is also neat if you're reading Black Panther. There's, you know, a, a fair amount of history to Shuri, even though she's not been around a super long time. She's probably introduced in the early 2000s, mm-hmm. somewhere around there. But Nettie takes bits of the Shuri we know from Tanahasi's books her time in the spotlight before that comic book because she had cool runs. She was friggin' Black Panther for mm-hmm. a period. She's she's awesome. And then also diving into what you know from the movies. And so she takes all that great mix, hitting these really cool vibes and like really especially wonderful for new readers, sort of wholly unique Shuri who 
is parts of everything you know about the character, which I think is really important, really special. And, you know, you've got her inventioning, you've got her spirit shifting, you've got her constantly moving forward, which is really fun. Leo Romero, so happy to have him on this book. Uh, Recently, we saw him on Hawkeye, uh, doing some great things with Kelly Thompson. And, you know, he here, along with Jordi Belair, really nails it. Like, the expressions he gives to Shuri of her just excited trying things there's a moment where she's blushing because she's having a conversation between uh t'challa and uh another character that she Mm -hmm. may have a crush on (laughs) and it is tremendous there's a a really awesome sequence in here that is flashback to when shuri and t'challa were younger this is probably my one of my favorite sequences of the week it is only three pages but it really gets Leo to do some interesting stuff with panel shapes and layout and uh, then brings in Jordy to really just lay in red and a little yellow in terms of colors. And then again, when you have great lettering, the lettering stands out because it has got this shade of green in these caption boxes. All of it put together really give you this wonderful sequence. And it's just tremendous. I think you're going to love it. But the last sequence in this book is really special because like where Shuri goes from here is really dependent on that. And Nettie is creating another world around Shuri. You know, Ta-Nehisi's done so much world building. Mm-hmm. Now Nettie has this other world that she's building. It's tremendous. Next book is Star Wars Darth Vader number 22, written by Charles Soule. This is a wonderful evil Sith origin story, and it is done uh, art-wise. Layouts by Giuseppe Camoncoli with Danielle Orlandini, along with Terry Pallet doing the finishes. That means that Giuseppe sort of put together the framework, and Danielle and Terry added to it. A little bit more than just the inking, a lot more of the fleshing out of the actual pencils, but it's all based on what Giuseppe put together. So little wrinkles here and there. Every, mm. every comic book is a... Unique flower. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Colors by David Curiel. And uh, yeah, so in this one, we get to really meet Momin, the messed up helmet spirit that is twisted and messed up and has killed Vader's crew. Yeah. It's a dark story. How that ties into Vader's fortress is really a neat thing. You know, like, I don't know how much of this is sort of lore that's already been there is it created for this story it, it just kind of taps into this really really cool element of star wars that i love so much which is just kind of like this twisted mythical mystical history of the dark side specifically and kind of this you don't really know what's real what's not real it's kind of monstrous and magical um and just super dark all the way through i love digging into that side of star wars stuff and this kind of pathway that vader ends up with his fortress on mustafar of course that he channels the kind of ancient history of the dark side via moment here is really 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 cool oh boy strap in folks next up we have Thor number six. It's written by Jason Aaron with art by Christian Ward. That's it. Christian Ward, he's one of those artists that does everything himself all the way through the entire process. We have letter in production by VCs Joe Sabino. If you are sleeping on this series, what are you doing? Uh, this is like some of the best that comic books can be. I mean, it, I say that so often about this series. I say that so often about the work that Jason and Christian do respectively. And oh man, we start on new Midgard. Okay. That would be new earth. 
at the end of time. Are you kidding me? Uh, and we see this amazing Doctor Doom spirit of vengeance. So it's Doom yeah. with the Star Brand, yes. which is this incredibly powerful universal sort of protector thing with the Iron Fist, mm-hmm. with the spirit of vengeance, and he's the Sorcerer Supreme. Plus, he's friggin' Doctor Doom, yeah. so he's got Doom's mind. He's got Doom's armor. He's yeah. so. It, Everything. Yeah. It is so, so cool. Also, he has some friends getting into the, uh, like I was just talking about, the kind of monstrous side of things. Not just Fing Fang Foom, but a few others as well. I just like, I cannot say enough about this story. We also get a quick interlude, like we did interlude with Dinosaur. We get interlude elsewhere at the end of time where we're getting this this kind of creepy story, this mysterious story that's been told over the last couple of issues of Thor, where Ego, the uh, living planet, it's kind of a dark future for Ego. uh, And there is an entire planet kind of being not literally, but, you know, figuratively maybe consumed by this worm. It's just a worm that's digging into the crust of the planet. And I love what Jason writes uh, as this this first bit of the interlude ends, as the worm kind of digs into the soil of this twisted kind of dying ego. And he says, and in the dark depths of space, a worm began whispering. And oh man, the terrors that will come of just a little worm whispering. But uh, then we come back to New, New Midgard and we see... All Father Thor, we see future Vereen. Uh, that's uh, Logan, eons in the future, powered up like you wouldn't believe, uh, and they throw down with... Well, powered up with the Phoenix. Yes. He's Phoenix Vereen. Uh, I mean, just the kind of strange, like, technicolor, melty, Celtic almost art mixed in with the monsters. Mixed in, It is just unbelievable the stuff that goes down in these pages. The way I describe Christian's art, especially in this issue, it looks like liquid mm-hmm. with like these incredible colors and, and vibrant, almost hallucinogenic vibes. Mm-hmm. Like it is yes, exactly. so trippy and beautiful and incredible. I mean, another cover shout out to uh, Asad Ribic with just an incredible little encapsulation of, of the action we get on the inside. Oh man, I just like, this can make me pass out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was very nearly one of my picks, but I chose to give my other pick to our next book, Unstoppable Wasp, number one. It is written by Jeremy Whitley, art by Gurahiru, letters by VCs Joe Karamanya. If you don't know Gurahiru, they are two Japanese artists, two women who just create this wonderful poppy manga style art uh, that is so good. They were recently on Gwenpool Mm -hmm. uh, and now they're here. Uh, And this is the second volume of Unstoppable Wasp. Jeremy Whitley uh, coming back, crushing it. Welcome back, Nadia Van Dyne, who was Hank Pym's daughter from his first marriage. She was taken away. She was raised in this sort of more sciencey aspect of uh, Soviet child engineering, Mm -hmm. I guess you could say. Like Uh, almost echoes of like magic's origin story in that she was kind of taken away, raised in a different time and place, and then has kind of reemerged into the real world and has to kind of re-ingratiate herself into reality, but also, you know, 
Nadia does it in such a specific, joyful, wonderful way. And thankfully, Nadia does not have demon hooves. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But Nadia does have such uh, this bubbly, excited, positive personality. And so if you've not read the first Unstoppable Wasp series, check it out on Marvel Unlimited or in the collection. It is wonderful. This picks up right where we were. You've got the girl, the genius in action research labs, and she's got her crew there. Characters we met in the first volume, they all have their different specialties, but they are all just working to create and make the world a better place. So Nadia is trying to balance acclimating to a world she didn't know anything about. She's learning to drive here uh, in, in a very funny way with Jarvis, they've got a flying car. She's doing all that. But she also has to help save the world here and there. You know, she's going after AIM. Uh, And then you flip that around. You also got this side story with Jenna Van Dyne, who is becoming a mentor for Alexis Miranda, one of the sisters of the Agents of Girl. So you've got these two cool stories. And it is about both wasps. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's very much a Nadia story. But we get to see so much with Janet that it's a tremendous first issue. Uh, I did an interview with Jeremy Whitley that I'll include in the post of this episode on Marvel.com where he talks about his inspiration for writing Nadia and how he he took kind of direct inspiration from those early 1960s uh, Marvel comics and the amazing kind of scientific inspired characters, the Bruce Banners of that era and uh, kind of has really made Nadia into this science hero in her own right. And it is uh, really, really awesome to get his perspective on that uh, and to see how Janet plays into that and how Janet's influence kind of is seen in the present day as well as in the past. It's, it's all really, really, really cool stuff. Heck, yeah. Also really cool is our next book, Venom Annual Number 1, another one of my near picks. And this has four stories, uh, sort of one of them being the wraparound story that you know framing sequence mm-hmm. for the entire book as uh, in the bar with no name and it's villains telling stories about venom and the the this framing sequence is written by Donnie Cates with art by Kev Walker and colors by Crystal Tomayor then you've got a bunch of cool stories so the first of your stories is called round 2 it's by David Michelini who is one of the co-creators of venom and he gets to do it with Ron Lim illustrator who did some amazing early work on Venom. He worked on Lethal Protector and other stories. Inks by Scott Hanna, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. In this story, so when Venom first appears, he's just trashing Peter's life and doing awful stuff. And there's a really difficult to read story of Venom going after Black Cat. And Mm -hmm. he beats her horribly. It's vicious. She's just like, leaves for a while after that Mm -hmm. but this one she like steps back up and she goes after venom she stands her ground it's a really cool story of her fighting kind of losing but also winning uh and it's it's great it's good to see david and ron be able to tell that story and sort of give some perspective to why black cat is a little bit more okay around venom Mm -hmm. these days they were together in the venom inc story arc so i really enjoyed this one and then you have a story called Nobody Does It Better, written by Jeff Loveness, illustrated by Tig Walker, and colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. And this it's a cool Wolverine Venom story that is simultaneously very 90s, but also very modernly meta. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, Venom starts very villainy, then he goes and becomes the... the lethal protector, trying to protect innocence and just doing it in a very 
messed up way. Yeah. And he still hates Spider-Man. But, you know, he's like, hey, you know, some people are okay. We're going to protect them and, and make sure they don't get hurt. And this story sort of helps you understand how he got down that path. Mm-hmm. Wolverine sort of saying to him, hey, bub, we all do bad things, but you don't have to do all those bad things. You don't have to be that. So it's a really cool story. And then our fourth story is called Unstoppable. And it's written and drawn and everything by James Stokoe. Oh, boy. James Stokoe, one of my favorite creators. He has a book called Orkstein, which is the best. He's done Godzilla stuff. He's done alien stuff. And if you've not checked out any of his work, oh, boy, read this story. Then you're going to be like, oh, I guess I should buy everything he's ever done because he's incredible. Um, The way he draws Juggernaut, like massive traps and the layers of Juggernaut's costume almost look like pieces of armor. He gives Venom extra heads and little arms and it just looks so cool. The layouts he uses in the book, he's bursting through panels, he's creating his own sound effects, he's you know, just doing all kinds of little background things. He's so meticulously detailed. He is, without question, one of my favorite comic book creators uh, working these days. And so you get all that uh, wrapped up in this big Venom story that doesn't really necessarily connect a ton to the overall myth. I mean, there's little hints about what mm-hmm. Venom's up to these days, but it is righteous. So good. So, so good. I loved reading that so much. Next up... Though we have Weapon H number nine. It's written by Greg Pak with art by Guillo Villanova, colors by Maury Hollowell, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Weapon H and Korg, and they're kind of almost new little team that they've uh, built of monstrous good guys are stuck on Weird World. And they are not just there, but they're tied up. They're up against it. And uh, they, uh, you know, they don't stay there for long. They uh, are pretty hard to keep down. And it's really, really cool to see them bust out and, and, and go up against things. This turns into a really interesting almost odyssey for Clay, for Weapon H here. Because we get flashes of his home life. We get flashes of his family and what inspires him. Because, you know, he's in some really difficult circumstances here. Not just physically, of course. But also kind of morally as well. And it's it's really interesting to see how this character deals with this. I'm a really big fan of Weapon H as a character. I think there's some really, really cool uh, character building that's been happening in uh, this series. And making him to a really specific character. Not just this kind of monstrous beast that is, uh, you know, the combination of Wolverine powers and Hulk powers. It's not just that. There's a lot behind all of that. You can really feel the man behind the monster here because he's always tries to do the right thing. He does. He's not uh, picky or choosy with with who he uh, does the right thing for and on behalf of. If it's just the right thing to do, he'll do it. And, you know, in recent issues, we've gotten how Captain America has kind of influenced that side of him in a really cool way. Uh, it's really cool um, and very specific story that kind of is told with these monstrous big powers, but with a real human heart at the at the center of it all. Heck yeah. All right, almost wrapped up. We've got What If Ghost Rider number one. And this book is bonkers. Mm-hmm. So good. So weird. It is written by Sebastian Gurner, former Marvel Comics editor. But this is penciled, inked, and colored by Casper Vingard and lettered by VCs Joe Caramagna. 
This is I I don't there's so much here. I, I mean you you said the word meta just before with Venom Manual. You said that word. Yeah. Well, just like take that word and just explode it. <laughs> yeah. A million. a million times. So this is essentially the tale of a Latvian black metal band who wants to have Marvel Comics create a custom comic for them. That is the premise. So we open up at Marvel Comics HQ. C.B. Sobolski is here, and he is explaining to the new intern, Robbie Reyes, of what's going on. At one point, C.B. presses a button, and uh, money starts raining down. It is so much like real Marvel. He presses the make it rain button underneath his desk. (laughs) So good. There are so many cameos by Marvel people in here. Uh, There's a great cameo by... uh, Everyone's favorite, Ricky Purden, wearing his amazing uh, jacket that he bought. If you don't know Ricky, he's tremendous. He's telling people that they need their badges. They're so excited to be here. We get to see cameos from a bunch of the different editors like Jake Thomas and Devin Lewis and many others. The band, very excited to visit Marvel. So Robbie has to give them a tour. As the person who gives many tours here at Marvel, this was so spot on and real. <laughs> it freaked me out. It was amazing. Uh, Sebastian, you know, former editor here at Marvel, gets this. He, he's having a lot of fun with it. It's so weird. And then it turns into this wild meta ride where the band wants to put their blood into the ink of the comics that are printed. It gets a little off the rails when it says that there's a printing press in the building. Yeah. We don't have that <laughs> here per se, but they start incanting and doing some stuff. They're basically trying to bring out uh, an actual magical demon beast, and Robbie Reyes ghost riders up to try to stop it. So we get to see this this cool story of now Ghost Rider versus uh, these creatures in a hellscape. I love Casper's art. It's got this Jamie McKelvey-type vibe to it, uh, but with lots of quirk and flair all his own. Definitely check this out. Yeah, super, super fun. Last book this week is X-Men Black Mystique, number one, uh, another in the great X-Men Black one-shots. It's written by Shauna McGuire with art by Marco Faya, colors by Jesus Abertov, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. When I was reading this, I kind of thought to myself, when we think of like the greatest super spies in the Marvel Universe, you know, we think of Black Widow, we think of characters like that. Uh, when I was reading this, I was like, Mystique is like, she could be the greatest super spy in the Marvel Universe. I mean, because there are so many of those little moments in this story, a character like Mystique, who has very visual powers, it makes it so much fun to read. She is essentially on a mission. She's on an infiltration mission. And the greatest part about it for me is Shannon's command of this character's voice. Having met Shannon at New York Comic Con and she was nice enough to join Marvel's Pull List live show SAS uh, uh, on the SAS panel, which was so much fun. It gave me just that little bit more insight about, you know, kind of where she's coming from. And uh, she nails it. It's kind of dark. It's daring. It's playful. It's like self-satisfied. She's like the ultimate confident con man. And uh, it's just another great entry into this kind of darker side of the X-Men and kind of getting those, you know, normally antagonists in the more protagonist role in these stories. Uh, Always so much fun to read. Then we also have uh, part three of the Apocalypse story by Zach Thompson and Lonnie Nadler writing with 
art by Geraldo Borges, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by VCs Corpetti. I really, really love what they're doing with Apocalypse here. It's kind of taking everything that we know about Apocalypse and flipping it on its head and, and forcing him to deal with that. He's in a really tough situation. Everything that he's always relied on, he cannot rely on anymore. And it's just flipping everything we know. There's definitely some 2001 A Space Odyssey inspiration oh, yeah. going on here, which is so cool. Love it so much. Heck yeah. Uh, one last thing. I loved Seanan's Mystique story. There's another Mystique story that I would put this up there with, which is called Wolverine Get Mystique. Jason Aaron, Ron Garney, it really dives into a lot of Mystique's past and how old she is and what she's mm. done and her connections to Wolverine. And uh, like that story it built so much for the character. This story builds so much for the character while staying true to everything we know about her. So good. We have a couple True Believers issues out this week. For just a buck, you can read What If the Fantastic Four Had Not Gained Their Superpowers, number zero, and What If the Alien Costume Had Possessed Spider-Man, number zero as well. A ton of fun. And they're so good. Yeah. Collections on sale this week. We've got Doctor Strange Epic Collection, Master of the Mystic Arts, Doctor Strange Damnation, Marvel Knights by Dixon and Barreto, Defenders of the Streets, Marvel Knights Daredevil by Bendis and Malev, Underboss, Runaways by Rainbow Rowell and Chris Anka, Volume 2, Best Friends Forever, Spider-Man, Iron Man, Marvel Team-Up, and Star Wars Legends Epic Collection, The New Republic, Volume 4. Uh, we have two digital comics apologies. We didn't get to them this week. Luke Cage, number three, and Deadpool Secret Agent, Deadpool, number four. Uh, on the app this week, Thorcore, again, told you all about it last week. It's back. Same Thorcore. It's just a different way you can get it. Digital collections, Invaders, and X-Men stuff in there. And then Marvel Unlimited has more Peter Parker Spider-Man issues to uh, to catch up on that. Issues from the late 90s, early 2000s. Some Secret Defenders, which I never thought we'd actually see put in into an app. But <laughs> check that out. I remember buying the first issue of Secret Defenders as a kid because it was basically like, it's Doctor Strange and Wolverine and other heroes. <laughs> Let's... See what happens. And it had a weird cover. Yeah, it's great. Uh, West Coast Avengers from the 80s and plenty more. Tucker will put links to everything in our news story and the show notes and all mm -hmm. that good stuff. And we'll be back with another episode next week. Yeah. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. This is Marv. Your Universe.